صباح الخير صباح الياسمين on today's show we have a special guest from Lebanon Bethany Kaidi Bethany um, has published two books about the food of the Middle East the jeweled kitchen and the jeweled table she designed tours food tours of Lebanon called Taste Lebanon Bethany is doing a lot of stuff with with food of the region Sabah al-khair, Bethany. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Sabah al-nur, Fadi. Thank you very much for hosting me. It's a real pleasure and an honor. Uh, your work is very inspiring for me. So I'm very glad to be here this morning speaking to you. Bethany, um, with, with food, you really started something quite interesting in the Arab world, in, in our region of the world. Um, you've simplified our food and made made it accessible to a lot of people. But where did Bethany start? How how did this whole story start? Um, So for me, you know, uh, I started as a home cook. I still am. I'm not a trained chef per se. So everything that I know, I've worked in professional kitchens and I've assisted Um, You know, I assist uh, Chef Greg Malouf in a lot of uh, various different events. But for me, at the end of the day, the way I started is um, learning from my grandmother, watching my father, learning from my grandmother, getting recipes that way. So it was quite instinctive anyway for me to understand that food necessarily, especially when you're cooking home style dishes and Arabic food, that the most important thing really is nafas. Um, we don't need all these kind of sort of excessive um, sort of techniques and things like that. So a lot of the time it is and it can be very simple. Um, so it all started. It started that way in a home kitchen. You know, I was in Miami at the time and I started wanting to cook all the dishes that I missed um, while you know I had left Lebanon. I was only 22. And I was missing the food of my heritage. So that's how I started, um, you know, phoning up my aunt to ask her how to make kibbe masalan. And, you know, I would get like finjain uh, ahwe, a cup of coffee, a small Arabic cup of coffee as, as um, sort of uh, measurements. So um, I think that made it easier to be able to kind of understand it that way, but also to have come to it from a place uh, as a novice and understand what does a novice when they're going into a kitchen really want to know um, and how how would, how how does it help them cook better um, something you know some, something like Middle Eastern food that can be quite scary for some people. Totally understand the the measurements of finjan ahwa um, cup of coffee, kemsha which is a handful. Or Russia, which is a throw of, which very often for anybody who's not uh, cooking uh, these recipes every day, just mean it means nothing. And and so you, you've made that into a, a more accessible um, recipe for for novices, but but also for for a lot of people who actually have inherited the taste of their region or their family cuisine, uh, but never actually sat down and, and you know thought of how, how to do that recipe. Very much in the diaspora, whether they're Lebanese, Palestinians, Syrians, or Jordanians, that's something I, I get a lot of like, oh, but um, 
I want to do hummus, but I don't really know how. Th that transformation of, of then, you know, getting it into a book and then two books. How did you, why did you start writing the book? So, yeah, exactly, Fadi. The recipes, you know, uh, can be daunting, especially as a novice. So when you're given such type of measurements, as beautiful um, as they are, uh, it, it doesn't really help and doesn't really get people into the kitchen. So for me, um, you know, I started a blog called Dirty Kitchen Secrets in 2008. Um, I had just moved to London uh, from the U.S. And I just wanted, I could not leave the kitchen. You know, I just, I, I, I learned over the last five years being in the U.S. Um, that I loved cooking. That's where, you know, that's really where I was at. Even though I have been cooking, you know, since I was a young age at 14, you know. But I realized that this, this was probably going to be my, you know, calling, for lack of a better word. And... Um, so documenting these recipes on the blog became such an obsession. And I was pitching a cookbook um, idea that was quite niche. It was focused on uh, the food of Lebanon and very much the food of, um, you know, local Lebanese dishes, um, which you know that we all share this these dishes across the Levant. Um, so I was approached at the same time by another publisher who had an idea for another cookbook. They really liked the um, the way that I was documenting the recipes, the stories, the sort of heritage and history that I would um, thread through the recipes. And so that's how The Jeweled Kitchen came about. Um, I was very lucky in 2010 to be able to get to, you know, get approached um, at, towards the end of that year. And then I spent the next two years documenting, writing, speaking to my aunts, you know, it was about the food of the Middle East. It wasn't necessarily just the food of the Levant. So they wanted to focus on Moroccan food, which I cooked a bit, but I definitely had to go in and, 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 and travel and learn and meet and talk to different various people and things like that. So it really, um, it further inspired my cooking style and also my understanding that, you know, Middle Eastern food, um, there's there's so much there's so so much variety to our, the, the the cuisine and so many different influences. So yeah, that's how it uh, that's how the the cookbook sort of uh, kicked off. I'm gonna take you to to dishes now, and the, there's one thing I'd really like to, to speak to you about because I think we, we share the same position. Hummus has become very trendy, and what we're seeing is people calling hummus everything that has a bit of tahina and is a dip, while hummus is chickpeas. And if it doesn't have chickpeas, it's not hummus. What's your take on this? <laughs> I'm glad you touched on that, Fadi. So my take, I mean, you know, this was a, this has always been a quite a big pet peeve for me, especially because I lived in the UK for 10 years and living in the US where everything is called hummus. Um, you know, I, I really felt like when I got to my second book, I really needed to just kind of set the record straight. And so I ended up writing, um, you know, I wrote a whole two page um, a, a synopsis on it, if you like, um, on what makes a difference uh, between hummus and mtabbal, you know, because what I think everyone most of the time is trying to call hummus, 
which Hamas, as you and I know, and most people should or will know now, is uh, Hamas just means chippy in Arabic. You know, Hamas can be amtabal, Hamas amtabal biltaine. So essentially what people are usually trying to say when they're calling beetroot mtabbal hummus, they mean mtabbal. Mtabbal just means to be tossed. So I go on about that um, and the differentiations and the sort of categorization. I mean, for me, food is food and it's delicious and that's the point. It's about gathering. It's about breaking bread. It's about generosity. It's about all of those things. But I also think that it's very much also about heritage and it's about a, it's about um, a common history. It's about uh, that journey. And I think it's very important that we kind of hold on to that and that Sometimes bastardization of it, um, you know, ev evolving a cuisine is one thing and bastardizing it, I think, is another thing, for lack of a better word. Um, I, I hope I can, you know, uh, put it that way because it is essentially doing that, you know. What is what is uh, chocolate hummus? I don't know. There's pizza hummus. There's, you know, so I think there's a fine line for me anyway. There's definitely a fine line. And I think you talk to a lot of different people from various different cuisines, um, historical cuisines, maybe like Italian food or, or you know, Italians or French or, um, you know, they'll have the same sort of feeling and opinion. You know, there should be a little bit of respect for it, I think. So essentially, really, to, to, to boil it down, the common denominator in uh, a hummus is not tahini. It's hummus which is chickpea and that is that is the big takeaway so if there is tiny it doesn't does not make it a hummus um that's really it's that straightforward and that simple so more often than not in these cases when you've got a vegetable mixed with tiny it's it's essentially amtabbal so amtabbal shmandar amtabbal albatanjan amtabbal albatata you know it could go on and it doesn't necessarily have to be tossed with tiny it could be tossed with any variant of uh, seasonings because tabal uh, is tossed in a seasoning tetbile. That that bastardization of dishes or cuisines that become alamut and and you have people starting to do things very bizarrely. They lead to to quite horrible creations. Um, rather than modernizing a cuisine or reinventing dishes based on, on the foundations. We can't work our modern approaches if we don't work, we don't know our basis and we don't respect our basis. That journey you describe of, of our food um, in the Levant in, in general <clears throat> is also a result of centuries of influences, whether they're trade routes, whether they're different cultures that mix into the area. We, I mean, we're all a, a product of, of this, this terroir, this land, and, this, and the people that, that lived in it. Very difficult question. One product that for you really symbolizes our region. Like, what is your fetish product? Ah, that is a big question, Fazi. Um, look, I have a number of um, products that are really interesting and exciting for me. Um, so I'm going to tell you, for example, uh, Zatar. We all know Zatar, but for me, Zatar al-Akhdar is way more interesting and exciting 
than khaltat al-za'atar. So for me, like I use uh, za'atar al-akhdar, I make pestos out of it. I do, um, you know, I use it in sauces, various ways in pizzas, put into doughs, things like that. I utilize that more as, uh, as an ingredient than I do khaltat al-za'atar. Um, because I also, I, you know, in cooking in particular, I also find, for example, that the simsum, the sesame, usually it's toasted, um, it, it burns very easily anyways. So, you know, I don't go sprinkling that like fairy dust on everything, in particular when I'm cooking it because of that um, factor, because of the bitterness that it imbues on, imbues on all the food. Um, but another really interesting ingredient for me um, that's not very popular, that's very, it's lesser known, it's very much a rural ingredient, and um, it's a bit of that Marmite sort of uh, thing where you either love it or hate it, um, but I tend to really kind of work towards trying to get people to, you know, kind of understand it differently from within, you know, local uh, people who are already familiar with it and think they hate it. And um, the ingredient I'm talking about is kishik. So for me, kishik is a phenomenal ingredient. I call it ancient technology. And I find it completely um, underused, under understood. Um, you know, for us, for example, it's limited to creating uh, soups. So we reconstitute it with water um and and uh, or we make it into a paste and we spread it on uh, for breakfast with har or so um, but i turn it into souffles when you look at it as an ingredient i make a kishkamel out of it so it's a bechamel using kishik to to instead of flour um and various other other uh, ways of using it so for me um you know these dishes they they're still quite familiar when you taste them but in a sense you're also kind of taking that ingredient and you're looking at it and you're saying okay how can i put this to use in a, in you know in a better way you know it's a, it's such an it's also such a healthy ingredient so it's a better option to utilize than flour because we know it's a probiotic you know fermented uh, uh so it's yogurts uh, that's been strained to a hard lebne and then you're fermenting that with uh, fine burgul um you know, even that product when it's kishak uh, akhdar is is a phenomenal product that is again underutilized um, and very it's a lesser known ingredient as well. So these are the sort of ingredients that really excite me. Um, they are often very much rural ingredients. And you know, I'll add also because um, anyone that follows me on Instagram knows. I mean, I'm nicknamed Lielens. Um Lia is another product. It's a fat. Um, from the 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 tail of the fat sheep, um, the indigenous Awasi sheep. Um, again, this is such a great ingredient that I love to use. Um, so I render it. You know, we can make awarma, so we can preserve meat in it. It's a fantastic ingredient. It's usually what makes some of the kaftas and the kibbes and all of these dishes that you so love. They'll taste very differently in the UK, for example, because you don't have access to liye. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, just a little bit of that fat just can, can, you know, transform a dish. So it's a very beautiful sheep's, uh, fat, completely different to regular fat in its composition. So you can melt it, you can render it down, um, to, into its liquid form and utilize it in, in various ways. That approach is very interesting of saying, well, there are rural ingredients that may have 
been judged, mis misconceived by people on saying, oh, but I don't like them. And and then today, trying to put them forward and saying, no, but you know what, try them differently. Laban Jamid, which has a very strong taste, people use it for Mansaf, have been using it in a million ways um, that are different and just putting it back on the scene and saying, no, but it is a fantastic product. Try it differently. Omar Sartawi in Jordan has been making chocolates with it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's part of our duty is to go back to these products that were that had the bad press. in Already in our local conception, but then carrying them also internationally and saying, no, we, we have fantastic artisans, we're proud of our producers, our farmers, and of our foraging culture. Um, with a lot of things like Khbeza, Huerna, Akub, people don't know them. And, and maybe in, even in Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, they're, they're also regional. So in some cities you'll have them and some others you won't. For, from those, from the foraged, what, what's, what's another favorite? Absolutely. And Lebanon, for me, is, is, is exactly like one of those ingredients. Um, you know, because when you when you track, for example, what is kashik and what is the difference between kashik and the and the way that Lebanese is made and the way that kashk is made, you know, it's a very interesting. There's so many similarities as well. You know, when you when you look at that, um, based on the trade routes and and so many various things, but also, you know, like you said, this whole wild foraging heritage that we have is very interesting. And one ingredient that I love is called orsanne. It's a it's a wild leaf that we use in salad, so it sprouts again in spring and in autumn. Uh, it can be quite thorny if it's too late in the season, so you want to get it in. Uh, you want to get it early in the season, and it's absolutely delicious. My grandfather loved it, um, and you can actually pickle it because it's quite hearty. So you know what we do is we just get a salt brine, we pickle it in the salt brine, and we have it also in the winter, and it's delicious with the side of jadra or fasolia. Um, and I think there's a, you know, there's so many various things, uh, um, you know, that we're that we're rediscovering, and also trying to kind of um, not only familiarize ourselves, but familiarize the sort of bringing in that sort of Western understanding of what these ingredients are, which is it's a very interesting, you know, time to be uh, in in that in that perspective but also to have that opportunity to take part in in in, in that part of our journey and of our heritage documentation so looking at my notes very quickly arsane is an eringo it's uh that's the sort of uh english uh, terminology for that in case uh anybody wants to go back to that um i have also i recall because i have noted that it's called sea holly um in sun in some places so um just in case we're needing to reference it back. Thank you, Bethany. Um, culinary appropriation. You've had a quite strong stance on culinary appropriation. And we, we live it. It's a trend that's happening, sadly, within both the, the, the global uh, movements and, and but also politically in our reality here. We've seen people use our produce and just call them Israeli rather than say 
I'm an Israeli chef cooking Palestinian or whatever, cooking Lebanese or cooking Syrian. And it's funny because it, it seems that's like one of the, the, the few exceptions. Um, while in the world of food, the, the real trend is we respect origin of products. We put forward, I mean, there, there's all these movements which we, we are all part of and we, we champion our producers and we champion the regions of origin and we protect provenance and and we put forward local, local, local. But then it just happens that nobody says anything. Yes, Fadi. So I wrote about this in my um, second cookbook. I touched on it um, knowing that, you know, I was going to alienate some people and potentially, you know, not get cer certain endorsements. But it was really important for me because I think, you know, the thing that really frustrated me, that made me pen this part of the book uh, called the Israeli, the Israeli Front, is that Israeli cuisine has become a benchmark for Middle Eastern food, for Arab food. Um, and it's very misleading and it's very much um, when there is a sociopolitical situation going on, um, when, when, when we understand what is going on in Palestine, when, we, when that message is not loud and clear to the rest of the world, I think it is superbly important to make a point that um, Israeli food is not a benchmark of Middle Eastern food, Arab cuisine, Palestinian food, if you want to talk about it. For me, at the end of the day, this is Levantine cuisine. It's, it's shared by all of us. Um, you know, you can have the micro nuances that are Palestinian, that are Lebanese, uh, you know, uh, for people that were living in Mount Lebanon or, you know, this. But we were all part of greater Syria. So there are a lot of technicalities that we could sit and talk about. But definitely to like come in and sweep this whole sort of what is Israeli cuisine? Well, there is Israeli cuisine, but Israeli cuisine for me is not. Uh, a fair representation of what Arab cuisine is or Middle Eastern cuisine. It is a cuisine that brings together uh, diaspora, Jewish diaspora foods, ju cooking techniques and things like that, but also takes from the Arab uh, influences uh, as well. So it's a completely different thing and definitely not a benchmark for Middle Eastern food. Um, so anyway, I do go into, into depth about that and I've talked to, you know, in the cookbook and the jewel table and I've talked about it in depth on, um, you know, on Instagram. So it's, uh, it's important, I think, for us to definitely talk about these things. They're important. They're important because of history, because of, um, the, the ethical situations that are going on. In, in, in Palestine um, and in the region. So it's very important to highlight and discuss these things. And, and you know, to have a debate and conversation, it's, it's essential. Exactly. It, it's essential to, to have a debate about it and to clarify things rather than tiptoe around it and, and pretend it's, it's okay. It's not okay to cook frike and not say it from here. It's not okay to cook dishes that are inscribed in a culture, in a way of living. When, when you talk about the Jewish diaspora, there are, there have been, and there are uh, people of Jewish faith from the Arab world, and they share the same cuisine as we do, and with each particularity, because yes, there are 
regional micro nuances. There's also religious culture micro nuances that come from the fact that some Arabs are Christian, some Arabs are Muslim, some Arabs are Jewish, some Arabs um, are, are whatever. And, and all of these religious either traditions or constraints um, are reflected in, in, in the interpretation of certain foods. But that is specific to, to, to all cultures. It doesn't make it exclusive to one nation over the other. Um, I mean, tabula is a good example of... Tabula is prepared in such, so many different ways all over. The Lebanese have a way to do it, and, and, and the Palestinians another way, to, and, and so forth. Uh, but it doesn't make one erase the other. A hundred percent. You know, um, to go back to that point, yeah, like you said, you know, this this is a cuisine, um, Middle Eastern cuisine is a cuisine historically sh shared by Muslims, Christians, and Jews that have inhabited the region for millennia. So when we say that Israeli is not a benchmark of Middle Eastern cuisine, it's taking into, into it's basically saying that, um, you know, this is a cuisine that represents... Um, that is influenced completely differently from what Middle Eastern cuisine those influences come from. So, like you said, also there are micro nuances. Exactly, you know. So, you know, for within the Christian community, there's ways certain dishes that we all share that are cooked specifically uh, a certain way for uh, for during Lent. You know, we have kusamahshe ata, for example. We call it ata. We don't call it Christian kusamahshe. So, for example, things that are cooked because of the Sabbath, you know, you don't go calling them Jewish kusamahshe or uh, Muslim kusamahshe. Uh, you know, so the, the, these are the micro nuances. At the end of the day, for me, nationalization of dishes that are shared across the Levant is also another touchy subject, you know, because like, like exactly how you touched on tabbouleh. I am of Lebanese heritage. When I talk about tabbule and tell people in Lebanon that tabbule actually is not specifically Lebanese, they get angry. They think, you know, I'm like, oh, she's she's disowning her <laughs> her heritage. But it's not that. It's actually when you look at the history of tabbule and the way it traveled and the way in, over the last hundred years it's evolved within Lebanon from being more burgul based, you know, especially when you were up in the mountains and you needed to have uh, something substantial to hold you. Parsley wasn't going to keep you in the far on the farmlands uh, working through the day, you know, it was burgul. So over time, as you, you know, went, uh, you know, within the Beiruti society, they stopped using it bloats you. So they would use it less and less. But the 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 sort of uh, what tabule is today isn't necessarily what tabule was a hundred years ago. And it's not exactly you know the red tabule that you get in in Turkey and Syria, uh, Armenia, which we you know we know as ktsir. So. Um, it's important to to uh, to understand and acknowledge all of these micro nuances as well, but also to understand sometimes, like you said, it is actually religious and it's not necessarily national. It's not only to understand, but it's actually the beauty of our region. If we look at the history of our region and the diversity over the millennia of all those influences of all the people that shaped our kitchens, that shaped 
our foundations in terms of culinary heritage. It's a strength that that diversity. It each dish tells a story of of how it traveled across the region, how things were modified to suit certain environments, to suit certain life styles, to to be trendy and fashionable in, in Beirut or in Jerusalem or in, in Damascus or in Aleppo or in Amman. Um, I mean, yeah, things things have, have changed. So speaking of the future now, what's next for Bethany? Yep, exactly, Fadi. Uh, so many empires, so much diversity, um, and that is the richness, and that is something to celebrate, the, the, the many differences that make up what the Middle East is. So, inshallah, yani, تتطور الأمور more and more with positivity in that sense. Oh, you know, <laughs> it's funny you ask this because obviously it's been one thing after another for the last Uh, year for me so you know I've uh, been in Beirut and I was uh, working on opening a restaurant uh, um, that was uh, very much focused on all the things that we were talking about today so bringing in all the foraged ingredients and um, you know from the farm up in the mountains that we have and 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 and, and sort of showcasing Middle Eastern food in the local dishes in 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 a modern way Um, but unfortunately, uh, with the situation, but also in a in a in a way fortunate because we we desperately needed the soda or the revolution to um, to kind of uh, change the political system that's taking over Lebanon. So that um, that dream uh, was put on the back burner. And so with all of that, an economic crisis in Beirut, I then decided I would spend a little bit more time in Dubai uh, looking at work regionally. Um, I do a lot of traveling as well for events and catering and things like that. Um, but obviously COVID has now come in and um, put a halt for a lot of our dreams, um, especially people in hospitality and a lot of different industries. So I can't really tell you what's next. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I don't even know. I'm quite jaded. I'm quite exhausted um, from having a lot of sort of, I wouldn't say failed, but just um, a lot of projects that I've worked on over the last year just not come through. So um, taking it easy and I'm kind of just just waiting and seeing how the next couple of months develop and um, definitely still, you know, going to be in food, but um, what projects I will take on is very much uncertain right now. But hey, you know, you never know. You never know. And you, this is one thing, again, the last year has taught me is the wildest things can happen. I mean, I've survived a civil war and now I've gone through um a revolution and also a pandemic so it's uh, anything is possible and hopefully we'll we'll all go through this pandemic safely it is true that it's it has challenged all of our projects and it has i think it'll redefine a new interpretation of what hospitality is and what the food sector is going to look like and, and what 
really our way of doing things is going to be after the pandemic, which hopefully people will, will manage to live through safely um, and, and go back to, to life, um, which I do think would be very different. Um, Bethany, thank you very much for having been with us this morning. It, it's fascinating, and I think we could go on speaking about our cuisine and our region together for, for hours and hours and hours. So I hope we'll have you again on the on the show. Yeah, absolutely, Fadi. It's uh, big changes, I think, are really ahead of us, uh, especially in the hospitality. And it's really hard to gauge what it's going to look like. It's still a fairly too early on. I mean, over the last couple of weeks, you can kind of start getting an idea of what it's going to look like. But, um, yeah, big changes. So I think it's just, um, you know, health is the most important thing right now. Um, and it's really hard from an economic standpoint. And I think, you know, we've been, I've been riding that wave now for the last six months with what's been going on in, in Beirut. And I'm at the, I'm at the end of it now. But I think, you know, with COVID, it's, um, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting times. But I think there's unity and people are sticking together and, it's uh, different times than a couple of hundred years ago, you know. So I think we're we're we've got a lot of uh, blessings that we can still count, um, you know, to be able to to have this conversation with you. Um, you're in Palestine. I'm I'm here in Dubai. So um, these you know these are things that um, I uh, I cherish during this time. Um, so thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure and I could definitely go on and on with you and inshallah one day, um, you know, it could be together over a table breaking bread. So that would be definitely um, a highlight, um, something to look forward to. I hope you have a great day and thanks again. Thanks a lot and take care.